Welcome to the On The Air podcast, a companion to On The Air magazine, a new bi-monthly magazine from ARRL for beginner to intermediate ham radio licensees. Filling in for Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Every month, the On The Air podcast extends material found in On The Air magazine to help you learn more about the many things the ham radio service and hobby have to offer. The On The Air podcast is sponsored by ICOM for the love of ham radio. Welcome to the December 2020 episode. This month we'll take a closer look at material from the November-December 2020 issue, particularly the article Skywarn Storm Spotter Class, the first step in helping the National Weather Service, and give you more information about how you can get involved with tips from a ham who has years of experience in this area. In the November-December on-the-air article, Skywarn Storm Spotter Class, the first step in helping the National Weather Service, Rick Palm, K1CE, detailed what it's like to take the official Storm Spotter class, sponsored by the National Weather Service Forecast Office. And he describes topics covered in the class, as well as what a storm spotter's responsibilities are, and how to find a storm spotter class in your area. Being a licensed ham is not a requirement for being a storm spotter, but many storm spotters are hams. If you're looking for something to do with your ham skills, Being a volunteer storm spotter can be a way to keep yourself active on the air while also making a contribution to your community. Today we'll talk to Mike Corey, KI1U, the co-author of Storm Spotting and Amateur Radio, about what makes ham radio operators so valuable to the National Weather Service. Mike is also part of the Skywarn Recognition Day Committee and a net control operator for the VOIP Hurricane Net. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, Steve. How you doing? Good. Hey, you've written the book literally on storm spotting. In fact, storm spotting and amateur radio is now in its third edition, having just been published by ARRL. So, Mike, what can hams expect to learn from that book? Well, uh, you know, I think uh, whether you're just getting into storm spotting or you've you've been doing it for for many years, like myself. Um, it it presents some old information uh, new again, and it also presents some new information. Uh, you know, that's uh, like most of the things that we do. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's ever changing, and the book captures some of that. Now, I should ask, what is storm spotting? So, storm spotting, uh, at least from the approach that we take, is uh, is done through the National Weather Service program called Skywarn, which is a network of trained spotters, storm spotters, that help provide the National Weather Service with ground truth information. In other words, what we actually see happening with the weather so that it can help help them accomplish their mission of protecting life and property and and issuing watches, warnings, and advisories. So what is ground truth? What does that mean? So ground truth, the best way to look at it is if you imagine... um, we, when we when we want to know what the weather's doing, we look at the radar. Now, the radar is a beam of energy that goes out and hits droplets of precipitation and comes back, and that's what we see in those green or in the winter months like now, white splotches on the radar. But that's hap- what that's capturing is not what is actually happening on the ground. So you really need the eyes on the ground to factor in that human 
uh, equation, what we are experiencing with the weather. And that's the ground truth. That's that's what's actually happening on the ground. A good example of that is hail. Um, radar may not pick up hail happening as we feel it on the ground. And a spotter recognizing a piece of hail falling and reporting that back to the National Weather Service may give them some information that the radar might not. So how does a storm spotter differ from a, a storm chaser, the people you see going out after tornadoes and that sort of thing? Right. And, and the book does cover that. We do have, uh, we do the 20 questions with a spotter and 20 questions with a chaser. But one of the big differences is the storm chasers that we would see on TV and things like that. Most of those are connected either with um, a scientific um uh, endeavor through a, through a university or some academic program, or or perhaps a commercial interest, because there are those that try to capture video and still images of severe storms. They actively go towards the storm uh, to capture that data or those or those images. They're highly trained. Many of them are meteorologists themselves. Some are not. Um, there, there's no set standard on on what educational background makes you a storm chaser. But they're they're trying to capture the most extreme weather events, either from a data or a media perspective. Well, a storm spotter is really focused on supplying that information to National Weather Service to help keep the general public safe. They're they're really reporting what they see. They're not rushing into the storm uh, per se, but uh, providing information um, using that training. So it's intelligent uh, information. It's 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 good information back to the National Weather Service. Uh, to, to help them along. In the current issue of On the Air magazine, uh, we go into some detail about Skywarn storm spotting classes. What is Skywarn? I hate to keep asking you hundreds of questions here, <laughs> yeah. but, but really, what for, for the listeners who may not know, what is Skywarn? Yeah, Skywarn is a program of the National Weather Service, uh, entirely run by the National Weather Service. It emerged following a series of tornadoes in the 1960s, where they realized we need we need to help educate the public on what severe weather is and and what it uh, and and how to how to get that information to us. So they developed a training program, Skywarn training. Some weather forecast offices, that's the local National Weather Service office, even developed an advanced Skywarn training, and those are particularly places that have higher incidents of extreme weather, like uh, large tornado outbreaks or hurricanes and things like that. But either way, the National Weather Service has developed this training uh, package that's freely available. It costs uh, absolutely nothing to take the class. A lot of it is now even moving to virtual offering, of course, in the pandemic, but that was even happening before the pandemic hit. So folks could, could sign up for the class they get the training. They are told how to report information because it's not just about recognizing weather events, but also how to report that in. And that's whether you're an amateur radio operator or not an amateur radio operator. There's many Skywarn trained spotters who who are not amateur radio operators and report that information in via social media, email, phone, and so on. So the Skywarn program is this network of volunteers across the country. It's even been replicated in Canada with the Canwarn system. And it is now going into almost 60 plus years of operation in citizen observers uh, reporting back weather events as they happen based on the training that they receive from the National Weather Service. Well, speaking of that training, uh, how long does it take to get through a typical Skywarn class, whether it's in person or online? Yeah, usually the basic uh, Skywarn 
uh, class takes just a couple hours, two or three hours. Uh, many that I've taken part in are done um, on a Saturday afternoon. Um, doesn't take very long. The uh, online training, can, you can kind of go at your own pace. Um, and advanced training, uh, I, I was part of an advanced training class in, in Mississippi some years ago that was a full day. So some of the advanced stuff can can be a little, little bit more in-depth and, and longer, but the basic course can be done in a couple hours. Do you have to really know anything about meteorology or weather forecasting? No, not really. In fact, you know, the assumption going into it is that you don't have a background in meteorology. Um, and the information being presented is the basics of meteorology um, really designed for the, for for public consumption so, so that uh, so, so that there is n- no necessity to have that meteorological background before you take the class. From a ham radio point of view, what sort of equipment would you recommend a storm spotter have in his or her inventory? Yeah, I would I would definitely go with VHF UHF equipment, um, whether that be mobile or handheld. Um, it all depends upon where the networks, um, the Skywarn nets are operating. Most of them operate on two meters or, or 70 centimeters. So definitely having that capability and whether you're going to be reporting from home or in your car. You know, if you're making long commutes each day, perhaps having that set up in your car would make sense. And uh, for many, just having it at home uh, would make sense. And more and more, I, I, you know, I see a lot of folks using things like the Zoom spot so that they can access the DMR D-Star and C4FM repeaters. And there's a lot of Skywarn nets that are active on those. In some places, HF is is a necessity. When you're covering large large geographic areas, you may find some Skywarn nets on, say, 80 meters. And of course, during hurricane season, the hurricane nets are active on on 40 and 20 meters. So if, if your primary interest is that hurricane side of things, definitely want HF. But for most Skywarn activity, VHF and UHF is where it's at. Using our imaginations for a moment, Mike, let's imagine that it's summertime, I'm out in the Midwest, I see by looking at the news that there's a line of severe weather coming right across the state, right at me. Uh, I've taken the storm spotting class, I'm a member of Skywarn. Take me through it, Mike, what do I do now? Right. So the first and the, the absolute first thing you do is make sure you're safe. Uh, you need to ensure that you're safe and you're heeding the warnings uh, that are being issued, that your family is safe, your home's safe. Once your safety is ensured, then you need to figure out how can you safely observe the weather as it's happening and report it back in. Now, that mean may that may mean staying at home and just reporting what you experience from there. You may be able to, if it's like an isolated cell instead of a line of storms, you might be able to observe that from a safe distance. Um, It is not a requirement at all that you have to be mobile and go out looking for for anything. Again, it's all about reporting what we're experiencing where we're at. Um, So so for the most part, it's stay safe, figure out how to observe safely figure out where to report it through. It might be on an on-air net. It could be through social media. It could be via email or even, even a phone call to the forecast office. So those are the, really the three things, safety, um, observe, and report. So really, I just, in theory, go out of my front porch with my handheld transceiver and, and watch what happens. You, yeah, you, you very easily could. Um, I've done that uh, several times and reported either strong winds, uh, 
uh, hail, um, things like that, uh, just from looking out the window or taking or taking measurements on, you know, a weather station. Well, you just brought up a good point. Uh, do you need to have a weather station at home? By that, I mean a rain gauge, an anemometer, that sort of thing. It, it would be helpful to have a way to measure. Um, total amounts of rainfall because we're not looking at just it's raining but is it raining at an, at an alarming rate? you know how, how many inches per hour that sort of thing so it would be helpful to be able to track that and of course wind speed there are ways you can kind of guesstimate wind speed but nanometer is going to be the best way to tell an accurate wind speed and then of course you've got to have that place just right so it's not obstructed in any way to get a true reading so yeah a weather station can help you in providing some information such as on wind or, or rain. And of course, in places like the Northeast here, uh, snowfall is going to be another thing that you may want to look for. Oh, yeah. We always think of summer when, in fact, uh, in the Northeast, the northern tier of the United States, uh, they get some outrageous winter storms, too. And I guess Skywarn's valuable there as well. It is, yeah, because determining the amount of snowfall over time is really critical for winter forecasts. So having that ability to report in snowfall totals is important. And of course, with things like nor'easters or blizzards or any kind of winter storm, you can also have things like trees coming down, power outages, and uh, blocked roads and things like that. And a lot of these nets are not only getting that information into the National Weather Service, but they may also be reporting some of that information into local emergency management or something like that. So blocked roads may also be important or power outages. Are a lot of these nets, Mike, on 2-meter or 440 FM repeaters? I would say most are probably on 2-meter FM, uh, the vast majority of them. Some in some areas might be on 440. Um, most are probably, I would, I would venture to guess, most are still using analog FM, uh, although we're starting to see more using, using things like DMR or D-STAR. Now, once you have completed a class, is there anything you need to do locally as far as, well, registering or checking in so that they know that you're out there? I don't mean during a storm, but before a storm. Yeah. So in in, in every county warning area, that's the that's the footprint that's covered by a National Weather Service forecast office. The warning coordination meteorologist there is the one that really coordinates the Skywarn program for that area. So they set any guidelines. You might have to register and get a spotter ID number in some places. I know the Boston office does that. Um, They may want to put you in contact with the amateur radio coordinator at the office. Um, So there might be some National Weather Service things that they would want you to do after the training. But it would also be um, helpful to, to make contact with your, say, your local area's emergency coordinator because they may they may also want to know what your, what activities you're involved in as well and get you linked into that part of it because Aries does a lot of work to uh, to help complement the Skywarn program. Oh, yeah. I never thought of that. And it would also be helpful to have a copy of your book. And I'm not shilling for your book here, but... <laughs> it would. <laughs> it, it, it would. I mean, could you give us more detail of what's in the actual book? Yeah, sure. So... The uh, the book, which is designed to complement the Skywarn training provided by the National Weather Service, the book really does focus on the amateur radio aspect of Skywarn. So it covers things like some of the history behind volunteer storm spotting, which really goes back to long before Skywarn was a program. 
So it covers the history. It covers things like safety and training. And training is something that evolves over time. So that's with each edition of the book, we've had to re, uh, reevaluate how training is being offered. Talks a little bit about the equipment you want to use and some of the considerations. It doesn't quite get into the point that it goes into great detail. There's other books like the operating manual or the handbook that would cover that. But it does give you some sense of what you need to be looking at when you're purchasing radios and accessories to do storm spotting. Uh, Vic Morris, AH6WX, does a fantastic job of covering the meteorological aspects of of uh, storm spotting goes into uh, uh, one chapter is dedicated entirely to general meteorology. A portion of another is is dedicated to hurricane meteorology. And then it also goes into the activation process. What what should you expect when um, when you get that message? So for the Boston office, uh, which I volunteer with, an email will go out that says storm spotter activation necessary. So. What do you do once you see that message? What are the first steps that you take? And then it even goes into, and this is an important part of it, and this is, I think this is something that as amateur, as radio amateurs, we sometimes forget the importance of, and that is, what do you do after the fact? And that's the after action process. Reviewing what what was done, what worked, what didn't work, what were the lessons learned, and how do we improve for next time? So that's a, that's a critical component, whether it's uh, Skywarn storm spotting and areas activation or even something like field day. It, it's important to go back and do that analysis and review. Absolutely. Well, I think I need to get a copy of your book. I don't think I have a copy, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have one yet. I'm still waiting on it. <laughs> that's how new it is. See, we're, we're right, yeah, we're right on top of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Mike. This has been very informative. Appreciate it. Very welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode, which took a deeper dive into material from the November-December 2020 issue of On the Air magazine. We'll be back in January to take a closer look at material from the January-February 2021 issue. In the meantime, feel free to send comments about On the Air to ota at arrl.org Read our blog at arrl.org forward slash OTA hyphen blog or learn more about ARRL membership at arrl.org. Until next time, I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY 73.